and welcome to the JB Motorsports Podcast. On this episode, we discuss the opening race of the ABB FAA Formula E Championship of 2024 from Mexico City. McLaren have unveiled the livery for the MCL 38 and the marketing campaign of Whatever It Takes. We preview the Rolex 24 Hours qualifying on Sunday from Daytona and talk about the new name rumoured for Alpha Tauri. I'm Joshua Birch. Welcome to the podcast. Third episode alongside me this evening is Ed Hunter from Formula E Zone and Anna Limbridge as well. Welcome to you both. Good evening. Uh, let's start off with Mexico City. And uh, first of all, you were both with me in the commentary box for that one. Ed, starting with you, what did you make of it then? Well, um, we've come to expect it, haven't we, in Gen 3 of just having a quiet start to the season in Mexico. It certainly wasn't without uh, its eventfulness in, in places, and certainly Pascal Verlein had an amazing start for Porsche, which was certainly a bit unexpected, despite the fact that he's won in Mexico City a few times before, uh, one of which he did get to keep, and this time it was the same as well, despite a post-race investigation him and uh, Jake Dennis but but yeah there's quite a few stories going on in terms of the actual action I think it all happened really in the first third of the race those opening sort of six or seven laps or so and from then on it was a bit more of a stalemate uh, where people were really struggling Uh, a lot of people had more energy efficiency than those around them but they couldn't really make progress and it's, it's funny we have a whole season in Formula One where Red Bull dominate and everyone's like, well, there's no need to panic just yet. But in Formula E, we have one race that isn't the best race ever because Formula E, they have this, always do this where they say, oh, look forward to next race because that's going to be even better than the last. Every race we have is the best race ever. And then suddenly every race that doesn't deliver and everyone's like, oh my God, uh, Formula E's over <laughs> and <laughs> everything's wrong. We need to change everything. <laughs> it's so <laughs> over the top, the reaction to it, which I find kind of hilarious. But, but yeah, there's certainly a couple of standout drives to look at despite uh, the lack of action and I'm sure uh, the rest of the season if last year was anything to go by will be a bit more action packed uh, consistently with a bit more unpredictability in there Absolutely, Adam you're with us for a couple of the races this year for Formula E mainly on the America's side then popping up throughout the season as you always do um, what did you make of that first race then as well of season three from the con box as well it seemed like uh, certainly in America with the new Roku deal yeah, actually, um, it was a lot more I want to say popular in America than it maybe was in the UK with the new TV deal. I think working better for the American viewers than the UK viewers. Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, props to Ryan Marine, who is um, who is doing the play-by-play this year for Formula E over here in the United States. Uh, he was actually on site um, at Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez for the season opener, and there was only three overtakes in the entire race. And when Pascal Verlon um, got, uh, after he got a really good start, he basically took off and no one could catch him. And I was quite surprised. Um, Sebastian Wemmy had an excellent qualifying and I truly thought he was going to get around him and take the win. But it's going to be a quite interesting year. Nick Cassidy, who uh, obviously, as many of you know, I picked him in the championship. He started off his championship year well by getting on the podium. And Andretti Global with Jake Dennis, Norman Nato, um, they started toward the middle of the field and worked the way up. And I was very happy for him. And it was nice to see Nick DeFries back in Formula E as well after, well, he didn't really have a, a good half year in Formula One last year. So, um, yeah, um, it was quite interesting now as we head across the pond to Saudi Arabia for round two. And we're going to talk about all these uh, big points from the season opener, really. Starting with Pascal Verlein took pole position and a very domination-style victory as well. There was the rumour that his car had a launch control system to which the stewards did investigate post-race, along with the Andretti of Jake Dennis. After four hours, nothing was found on the car that would be a bit of software giving them an easier launch away from the line when the lights go out because 
because it's not like a formula or a endurance car where you have to rev the engine and literally find the right bike point and go forward it's this just pressed accelerator in a Formula E car there's no build up revs so they were looking at launch control there's nothing been found and Verline was able to take a victory uh, there was only four overtakes in the race as well three in attack mode Verline led then Bohemi Verline Bohemi Verline again led for a total of 30 of the 37 laps Bohemi led for seven of them um, but I think Ed standing with you on this one Verline's domination is exactly what he needed to do after starting last year that Porsche powertrain season 9 was the best of the rest starting in Gen 3 then it got away from him after Saudi Arabia and in the second half of the season he was nowhere very much a, a different driver he came back a lot more focused I've got him as my champion for this year in the pick and winner is that the perfect start and can he keep that momentum going forward well when you come away with a maximum 28 points you can't really say it's anything other than a perfect start if you want to be really harsh you could maybe argue uh, that he could have built a bigger gap in the first six laps because everyone was trying to dump their uh, attack mode, get it out of the way because it was basically useless in Hermanos Rodriguez because it's so dusty offline, essentially, that you can't really use it to overtake. And if you do try and do that, as we saw with a couple of drivers like Frines and DaCosta, who both crashed out of the race, uh, it can be absolutely lethal. And uh, yeah, so they were just trying to get it out of the way uh, so they didn't have to spin their wheels every time they got on the accelerator at the final corner. Um, I think, uh, yeah, there was, Boemi did briefly get ahead because of the way attack mode worked out that he basically had one left that he hadn't done, whereas Pascal got both of them out of the way before the first safety car. Uh, so in the end, Porsche always looked pretty strong and uh, we sort of thought maybe Boemi might be able to use the attack mode to get in front and uh, how naive we were. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, in the end, uh, you can't really fault uh, Pascal's drive. It really, we were talking about that. Well, I say we, I wasn't there, but we were talking about this. They were talking about this in the FE bar, which is formerly zone stretch. They were talking about Da Costa, and there's a great segment with uh, Nick Golding where they ask him about it. And they're talking about, yeah, this puts a lot of pressure onto uh, Antonio Felix Da Costa because he didn't have a very, his teammates out there winning, getting maximum points. Da Costa had. A, you know, a bit of an up and down season last year in his first season with the Porsche team, but now the pressure's really on because Pascal's delivering and uh, he isn't. Pascal just seems in a much better headspace than he did towards the end of last season where he wasn't qualifying well. He was struggling for races, getting into incidents, and uh, occasionally he would have a good weekend where it came together, but it wasn't happening often enough. And you saw by the time he got to London, he was just too many points behind to really get into that championship fight. So uh, now. Uh, it's really important for Porsche and the teams that DaCosta ups his game uh, from Dira onwards. I'll have no idea if he does because I'm not watching for obvious reasons. But uh, but Pascal, I think, um, given his form there last year where he won both races uh, and beat Jake Dennis after Dennis comfortably beat him in uh, Mexico uh, the race before uh, in the beginning of last year. So uh, now I think uh, Pascal, all signs are looking really, really good. It's just a question of whether Jaguar particularly up their game because then they could potentially, like they did with the software last year, start to outdevelop Porsche a little bit and Porsche though they had a very very good car at the end of last season as we saw with Jake Dennis developmentally got left a little bit in the dust by uh, by Jaguar and I think there's a danger it could happen again Adam coming to you on the driving finish second we mentioned him at the start of the podcast Sebastian Boemi we're talking about him you with us in the practice sessions as well Boemi was another star throughout the weekend as well I had him as my pick a winner uh, front row start for him finished in second position but it was like a different man Sebastian Boemi who's been winless since New York season five came into this weekend went away with second place and took the trophy with him throughout the entire post race do you think Boemi has now found a groove back to how he was in the early days of Formula E and do you think he, there's a chance he could win a race in season 10 yes I do believe Squash and Boemi will win here in season 10 he is due he is way past due he is a he is a very talented driver with loads of experience and I'm still shocked he hasn't won since New York um he is he is one of the best drivers in Formula E and and I will say it again yes he will win here in season 10 I don't know where but he will win his time is his time will come soon 
And Ed, speaking about uh, the next ones along the list, Cassidy and Evans, the two Jaguars, another team which look to be very much on the hunt. I think it's very much Porsche and, and Envision at the moment going so well at the front. But Jaguar, to me, in that one, seemed like they were tripping over each other. We had Evans backing up Cassidy, Cassidy backing up Evans whenever they were in attack mode. They weren't allowed to be released to actually catch the front. It ended up with Evans backing off because he was the last one on the attack mode and had to save energy. And Cassidy up front catching up with Boemi for second place, who was backing off thinking that Verlein was going to get a penalty. They went on that last lap quite close together, but by the end, there was no real charge. So... Which which one would you say is sort of the number one driver in Jaguar? Is it Cassidy or Evans? Because in that first race, they could not make up their minds, the team. And yeah, they got the points for the team's championship. But if that's a thing going forward, I'm very worried that they're going to sort of drop back quite far in the standings. You're a team principal in Formula E. It's a good problem to have there, isn't it? That uh, You've got two drivers right at the front of the grid and that they're both uh, as quick as each other because you, what you really don't want is what we had with, say, Andretti with Andre Lotterer last year where Lotterer was nowhere but Jake Dennis was constantly at the front because uh, if you've got one car that's just not scoring any points then that's a, not only does it not look great for that particular driver but it looks really bad in the uh, team's championship it translates to you're only getting half the points really that you should be essentially although you, you know you might ideally want one driver that's slightly slower than the other so you can have a clear number one potentially uh, but in formula you really get that luxury of choosing it's really the way things work out and uh Qualifying, I think Evans did end up just ahead of Cassidy on the grid. Uh, they had a one-place penalty, mm. uh, which dropped them behind uh, Max Binnenkumpfer and his Maserati on the starting grid, and that was for uh, an infringement when they were coming in after the red flag. I think they tried to do the fast charging yeah. of the attack charge. They tried to practice mm. it at the end mm. of FP1 when uh, Jake Hughes crashed out, essentially. They, uh, but they, and the rules were a little bit ambiguously written, so they, they didn't say that you couldn't do this. But they also said there's a red flag. You sort of got to go back to the pits. They didn't say you have to go back into the garage and not do anything. So, uh, so Jaguar felt a little bit hard done by. I think Nick Cassidy said he probably felt he could have challenged for the win because uh, if you've seen the video on, and this is more of a commentary on, how the coverage wasn't great. But if you looked at Formula E's highlights uh, of the team radio, one of the bits that they cover is where Buemi about three quarters into the race uh, messes up turn one tries to turn in from a bit too far on the outside nearly gets a wheel on the grass just about manages to save it and then Cassidy catches right up to him and then Boemi essentially kind of hogs the middle of the road and Cassidy can't get through around the outside through turn two and he says oh I'm not sure if you left enough space there and uh, Boemi sort of brushes it off like it didn't happen essentially over the radio (laughs) better Yeah, I I don't think it was too bad. The only thing for Evans was we know at the moment uh, from what Evans said post-race that it wasn't him trying to save energy. It wasn't that he didn't have another attack mode that he had to sort of... Obviously, the way it worked out, I think he did lose track position because Cassidy managed the attack mode a little bit better and got them out of the way earlier, whereas Evans, like you say, held on to it a bit longer. But in the end, what really did for Evans in challenging Max Gunther was uh, steering just went really, really heavy as well. It sounds like there was a fault with the steering which is very bizarre. You wouldn't normally expect that. But uh, but hopefully we do see a little bit better from Mitch Evans uh, for the rest of the season. So I, I don't think Jagger are in as bad a shape. I think they got a podium to their name. I think Cassidy had a very, very good debut. And uh, I expect we're going to see more of the same. And I, I would... You say, boy, you'd be surprised if Boemi doesn't win the season. I'd be very surprised if uh, Cassidy and Evans don't get more at least two wins each, I think, this year. Because they got four each last year as well I think or was it three for Evans and four for Cassidy I think I think it might have been that it was but, four yeah. for Cassidy I, I think yeah because yeah. he Cassidy yeah, won think, in think, Portland exactly yes, well yeah, on, yeah, he did. yeah I, was, I was just forgetting how many wins Evans had I'm pretty sure he won Brazil he won Berlin he won London so that's three uh, so so yeah I think I think a, a similar win tally is very much expected with the fact that they carry over so much hardware from last season and the only change it can really be in the software and we know how Jaguar got improved a lot after the first few races of last season as well so there's no reason not to expect maybe there'll be diminishing returns but there's no reason not to expect Jaguar to uh, to have the edge on Porsche as the season goes on 
And I suppose as well, going on to it, another driver who sort of had a repeat of what happened in 2023, Robin Frines, uh, getting another accident to his name. Your oh, pick, no. yes, that's right. And Adams, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to win the race. Both of you, did you pick the same? I can't quite remember. Oh, no, I picked him to win the championship. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. I picked, I picked Jake, I picked, uh, Jake Dennis to win. Yep, you both race. did, yeah. Forgot about that in the podcast, uh, the last episode, or the, the first episode, whichever you one You don't listen back to this thing that you edited. Right? I edited it, and it all goes into one, honestly. Uh, it's That's why uh, we haven't got squip. We've literally got, just got a bullet point list of oh, what to do. Try being on, like, three different Formula E podcasts. <laughs> I've, been, I've been on them all, <laughs> if you think about it. I did Queen Network, then did Formula E Zone, doing this one. What's your third? Oh, wait, it'd be this one, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's me being silly there. <laughs> yeah, it's this one. <laughs> uh, right, Robin Frines uh, crashing out again, this time making it to the Forest Old Stadium and embarrassing himself with about 40,000 pe- 40, other people. It was a weird one, wasn't it, guys? Because, Adam, I'll start with you on this one. It, he just got on the dust when one of the Mahindras was taking attack. I think it was Degrassi, wasn't it? And it was just the... Oh, it was Motara. Motara. They all look the same. They all look the same. (laughs) (laughs) It was weird the way he got on the dust. The car just sort of jinked the other way. So was that more of... I don't know. How embarrassing would you say that was, Adam? That was very, very embarrassing. Robin Fine is a very talented driver. And um, if I... if he's going to be a contender for the championship this year, he needs to be. He he doesn't need any DNS like we saw it, it for the first race of the year in Mexico. Um, he is a very talented driver with loads of experience, and and his team is a really good team that he drives for. So, if I, that was truly embarrassing for Robin Fines and um, oh. Hopefully he can get his season going again in Saudi Arabia. Now the highlights for the race are up on the JB Motorsports TikTok and Instagram. On TikTok, it's at JB Motorsport. On Instagram, it's at JB Motorsports IG. Ed, you highlighted them, and I thought very well done with the uh, crash itself. Uh, your commentary was over that part. Of... We move on, by the way. Yeah, go on. Uh, can I point out something? Mahindra at... Oh, I fear it is. Yeah, all right, fear it is. But <laughs> it's not about this fact. It's very difficult with the amount of cars that are the same. For those of you listening in on Spotify, Amazon, and Apple, it's very difficult because I think the Mahindra looks quite similar to the um, Nissan, and the yes. the what was Neo now the what is it ERT looks very similar to the act yeah so it's quite difficult to to get it all done and the the Porsches actually from a distance look like uh, the Jaguars so it's going to take time we need to have more differentialized colors in the series because when you're looking down on the the, uh, camera angle the the crane one on the start line it's very difficult to tell who's who Um, easier to do in Lego than in real life where they've got all the lighting and got the yes. grey of the side of the Mahindra and the sort of dark grey, uh, sort of dark grey, yes. dark blue kind of thing that's on the side of the act as well. But yeah. If, uh, if I could say one thing on Frines before we move on. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you about Frines. Sort, of sort of problem uh, when he was, because uh, if you saw his start, it was terrible. Yeah. He said that he didn't understand what was going mm-hmm. on and felt like something was wrong with that car all, all, all day, to be honest, because if you saw qualifying, he did a good lap to get into the duels. And then he's lapping the jaws. He just went straight on at turn one, didn't he? Mm. Uh, it just would not slow down, and uh, so, uh, so, so I'm not sure though. That I'm not sure if it was a break by wire thing or, or or what it was. Maybe the car wasn't set up particularly well because, despite the fact he didn't have a great start, he made a move on Muller. He was making decent progress and was fighting with Mortara, almost on the verge of getting into the points. And then he has that moment where he just gets a little bit offline, and the car went a bit evil on him, and there was nothing he could have done to save it. So. I think you, I, Adam, so it certainly looked embarrassing for Robin and obviously with what happened last year with the big hand injury for him in Mexico, obviously it's sort of a, uh, not a rerun because this hand was at least fine this time, but certainly uh, it, it's not good for Robin Frines' momentum, but he's such a talented driver. We've seen it so many times. Whenever you count Robin Frines out, he bounces back. Even in that horrible act, he was mm-hmm. able to get pole position uh, in Berlin last year. So I think... Uh, 
think Robin will brush this off very, very quickly and uh, be back to his best before too long. Yeah, this this hand is your hand. I've got a lot riding on him, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Literally riding in Mexico City. Okay, moving on then to the Andretti Global cars. Not Order Sport, they've changed that member. So it's Andretti Global now across their rebrand in Motorsport as they try and get into Formula One. Gene has to sell the team already. Uh, but it was an interesting one. I'm going to get my notes out now from the commentary box at the side of me here. Dennis finished 7th in Group B. NATO finished 5th in Group A. They lined up on row 7 together. NATO was 13th. Dennis started 14th. And they made it up to Dennis in 9th and NATO in 10th. I thought a very impressive run when overtaking wasn't the best at the circuit. But starting with you, Ed, then going to Adam at the end of it, tailing on, is this a bit of a panic station for Andretti, who started last year so dominantly, was able to keep it running and being consistent throughout the year? They've had sort of a, a fall at the start hurdle here. It's not the best. Do you think they can quickly get it back together again? Because it was qualifying that hurt them. Yeah, well, it happened to a few different teams. We saw it happen to... The Costa as well, with much uh, more dramatic consequences, but they just got held up by other cars in qualifying when they're trying to do their final runs. And uh, Dennis especially suffered. I think Norman probably qualified about where... Norman Nato, that is, qualified about where he was going to, I think. Uh, but still, both of them had strong races. Uh, Dennis, I think, said before, he knew overtaking was going to be difficult, so he tried to make as many moves as he could in the first couple of laps i think the sort of there was only three overtakes in the race but that leaves out uh, everyone going side by side in the first lap essentially and and obviously all the attack mode uh, deployments and the strategy playing out that way but 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 yeah i uh, i think uh, they won't be panicking just yet because they had so much more and they had, he said we ended the race with like two percent more than the ds's the mclarens uh the maseratis and the uh, in front of us basically so I, th- I think they're probably going to feel they're on pace with the factory Porsches with the Jaguar powered cars and that they can do a lot better and I think Jake Dennis will know that if he can get qualifying right then they can potentially or maybe uh, go to a track where qualifying is not quite as important as it is in Mexico where you can actually make up ground rather than just getting stuck behind someone for uh, 20 minutes or so and just wait for the race to end uh, which unfortunately was how Mexico played out and uh and Nominator, I think, did really well, did exactly what he needed to do, shadowing Jake Dennis, and was able to sneak the final point as a result, despite the fact they had uh, a Nissan. I think uh, Fenestras was a little bit unlucky not to score a point, and Roland actually did very well from where he started to be able to just miss out on the points at the end. Uh, if there had been anything happening up front, I think Roland could easily have got a point. So, uh, so yeah, that was some tough competition in the midfield. Andretti did about the best they could in the circumstances, but uh, we haven't seen the best of them yet this season. Adam? Yeah, um, I'll agree with what Ed said. You know, it's just one race, and we still have the rest of the season to go. Andretti Global, they will be up there. You know, Terminato and Jake Dennis are two incredible drivers. Um, I think they can win this year. I think they will be contenders in the Drivers' Championship and the Team's Championship as well. So I don't think we should on Andretti Global just yet. I think if they have, I think if we get to the middle of the season and Andretti Global are performing like people expect them to, then I think we should start to panic. One driver who will be panicking going into Saudi Arabia is the Vertline's teammate at Porsche, Antonio Felix da Costa, who, as Ed said throughout the programme, and Adam yourself as well, didn't have the best qualifying, didn't have the best weekend. He has actually got a penalty going into Saudi Arabia for that contact on the second lap as well. Put him out of the race, though, Ed. Uh, Wasn't the greatest weekend for him. Deserved penalty or a bit too harsh? Well, it was, I think Nick Golding said this as well on the FE bar, and I sort of am inclined to agree with him, that it was sort of a bit of a desperate move uh, on Nico Muller, that sort of, it was, going offline was a bit, apparently De Costa in the interview said that he tried a look on the inside of the lap before, and Nico Muller cut across him, and he thought, right, I can't afford to blow any energy stuck behind Nico Muller I need to make this move as soon as I can and next lap through into turn three he tries pretty much the same thing and it happens but with much bigger consequences where Nico Muller sort of either doesn't see him in time or just it doesn't expect uh, 
the Porsche to be able to make a move given how treacherous it is offline and contacts made and the Porsche it bends its front wheel and is out on the spot the act continues on and I think there's a radio message from Nico Muller where the rear wing whole section just entirely falls off the car and he just keeps going he was still able to beat I think uh, Dan Tictum I think to like 16th position in the race or something like or 16th or 17th or something like that so uh, <laughs> so despite it not being a great 100th race in Formula E for Apt I think Nico Muller did about as well as he could have in the circumstances uh, but yeah De Costa it's, it's a bleak uh, uh, it's, there's not really too many positives to take from him because he, it's kind of his own undoing and it sort of reminds you a lot of some of his messier performances from last season we all remember that brilliant move, uh, race in Cape Town where he qualified oh, I think brilliant. ninth or something like that and then was able to slowly Pascal was the one who crashed out and he was able to make his way through and uh, those beautiful overtakes on both Nick Cassidy and then John Eric Verne near the end as well uh, that really fast sort of snake section where there's pretty much no room for error and barely enough room for two cars so so yeah he's capable of brilliance when the opportunity arises but and he's a you know quality champion in Formula E Antonio Fixed Costa but sadly uh, when things don't quite go his way uh, he, he, he sometimes can panic in these sorts of things uh uh, can befall him uh, uh, which, which is a shame because he's had such a, a good career overall in Formula E de Costa driven for some brilliant manufacturers was even at the start when he drove for Team Aguri uh, mm. in the early days the real underdog and they rejoined them as the cheetah where, where he, boy, he became a champion with them in season six so uh, he's yet to really title tilt with Porsche but uh, he can still turn things around it's early days uh, but that that grip penalty he's going to be feeling that uh when he gets onto the starting grid in Deiria. Not that I'll be noticing at all. So the so Costa sort of gets a free pass from me, uh, uniquely, I guess. Uh, although along with all the other people who are not able to watch uh, Formula E in the UK, in my case, I'm just not willing to watch the one in Saudi Arabia specifically. And I'll but watch, yeah, I'll watch I'm, songs I'm, beat everybody yeah, else's as well, which is great. So, uh, yeah. So I might watch you guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> just, works. There's no visual. Um, okay, going on next, and starting with Adam on this one, then going back to Ed, uh, Nick DeFries, slow return, uh, but I thought impressive because he was the only driver outside of a second in the end of practice. He didn't do great in qualifying, did better in the race. And I thought, considering this is his first weekend in a Gen 3 car, first time he's been able to run consistently because, of course, the car uh, had a battery fire in the uh, pre-season test when they were transferring to one to the other. That cancelled the dietary testing and he couldn't take part in the remaining test. So he lost time. Uh, Adam, what did you make of uh, DeFries' return? And then we'll go to Ed after. Like you said, Josh, this was Nick DeFries' first time in a Gen 3 car. And and I think once he gets the hang of it, he, he will continue to do what we saw. It, you know from a few seasons ago and and that has run really really strong um i think after we get to the middle of the season um around monaco and berlin i think nick defries will win this year um in that gen three in that gen three car um it was a it was nice to see him back on the grid yeah it was a slow start but once he gets the hang of this car, I think Nick Trieve is, is a driver you cannot count out for the championship. Um, so, yeah, I think Nick... So, what's your take, Ed? I think that's... I think you're you're ever the optimist, Adam, which is what I love about you, but I really don't see that Mahindra that struggles to even score points at the moment. I do not see it winning races, even if Nick DeVries puts in the best drive of his career. And uh, for what it's worth, I think his teammate, Eduardo Mortara, did probably about as good a drive as that Mahindra can do. And we even heard it in the team radio. They're, he's, they're basically saying, oh, can you get past the, the, the Nissan in front? It's like, Tom, I'm doing all I can right now. <laughs> Jeff, it was a great message. But uh, and also when Ido said, I did not touch Robin Fries at all, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which, was, which no. was pretty obvious from the replay. But, uh, but yeah, Khalid Mahindra got a sort of deceptive angle. I think when you're looking at it from the... A camera on the Envision looking back at Robin's helmet it looks a little bit like because of the warp perspective like there was a little bit of contact but obviously we know better uh, and so does everyone else now uh, but yeah I I think um, there was a lot of uh, criticism of Nick DeVries over social media from people who again don't 
don't know better and perhaps should about Mahindra standing in this championship given how much they struggled last year they get to get a podium obviously at the same circuit last year but that was different circumstances the beginning of a new era Lucas Degrassi really outperforming the car getting onto pole position and then uh, being able to manage energy from the front uh, and Mahindra was really struggling towards the end he had to really get defensive to hold on to that podium uh, so uh, I, I think that was definitely a fluke given the rest of the, how the rest of the season went where they barely finished inside uh, the top six seven ever at any race uh, from that point onwards so I think um, Nick DeVries did about as good well as he as he could have as you say given his lack of experience in the Gen 3 car and a lot of people there just two word summaries were oh Pascal Verline won for Porsche oh and Nick DeVries is still cracked because he finished 15th which is such a kind of hey you didn't watch the race and maybe given that it's hidden behind a paywall in the UK can't really blame him too much for that but I feel like people expecting Nick DeVries to to win in one of the worst cars on the grid are being incredibly unrealistic and uh uh, yeah, I, f- I think uh, as the season goes on, we'll have more chaotic races where Mahindra will have more chances to score points. And I think that's when you're going to see Mortara and Nick DeVries uh, really shine. But, uh, but they're going to be in that team for the long haul. We know there's a three-year plan that may not end up being three years. It might end up being longer, uh, according to Frederick Bertrand. But they're going to be committed for long haul. So we know that team's being restructured. They've still got the ZF powertrain in the back of it technically even though they're not partners with ZF anymore because that's fallen through so there could be a plan for season 11 that comes to fruition we'll have to wait and see but but yeah Mahindra definitely a team that's uh, in the first year of a, of a restructuring so uh, uh, we're not going to see major major upswings in performance at least not on the hardware side in the software side things might get a little bit better as the season goes on but at the moment they're just going to have to hang in there and uh, and try and uh, get more experience in the in the case of Dewey's. If attack charge messes things up and there's a safety car or anything, anything could happen. It's that's one thing. Maybe anything could happen. Jordan won Grand Prix races and when they weren't supposed to. I mean, to we're so. talking about a team that's hired a, a, and sacked an AI influencer right. in the course of two days. Well, actually, they made it beforehand, but yeah, and but, but yeah, so, so. <laughs> she was on airplane mode, so they couldn't turn her on to, to, to sack her. So that's what, what was it, Ava Rose? Yeah, that was the bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's, that's right. That's right. When you look back at London last year, McLaren had an AI livery that they got Neom, their yes, esteemed they Saudi Arabian mega city title sponsor. That's totally not advocate. That's totally not responsible for genocide of the Hawitak tribe that's lived in the area for, for eight hundred years to, to get that off my chest. But but yeah, they they designed an AI livery uh, and got on about how revolutionary it was, and that didn't get anywhere near as much pushback as Ava Rose did. Uh, which feels a bit uh, unfair to me because uh, this ne- this neon thing uh, I think is uh, arguably worse because at least mm. Ava Rose isn't responsible for the genocide of indigenous tribes anywhere. So <laughs> regardless moment, of, of what you've done with it, yeah. at the moment you never know where I could go. AI could go. I, I, I don't trust <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. If well, it, <laughs> technically she is immortal, so there's plenty of time to, to cause more human suffering. Yeah, the way this podcast yeah. goes, dear me. Um, right, I'm not going to ask Ed his thoughts going into Saudi, because of course, as you probably have mentioned, and hey, dear listener, Ed doesn't uh, do the Saudi Arabia races as well out of uh, the protest, and sort of re- I respect him for that as well, like, highly a lot, and I always say I don't mm-hmm. like doing the races. I'll tell you what I'm going to imagine will happen. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. The only time Ed, I think, has ever compensated on a race from the Dewey track was actually an e-sport race and it didn't count because it's just the track. So t- and all throughout, yeah. I was constantly talking about, oh, commentary's being done under protest. Yeah. Uh, I was constantly... Thing. It's thank goodness we don't race here in real life. Wink. <laughs> I think I think I think Nick Homewood and Chris Tompkins were like listening to the end of that and they were like I can't remember what they were something, wasn't they? Like um I can't I can't remember what happened there, but they were I thought it was quite funny their reaction because they were listening to it back and I think they said at one point in the group chat for ERC um, exactly how many times has Ed mentioned about Saudi Arabia? It could become a drinking game, <laughs> something like that. I think it was oh. it was every lap or so. Oh. <laughs> so I, oh. I, I agree with you though, Ed. I, I think do. that's a bit of an exaggeration. Um, every three at laps. one point, I did talk about the race. <laughs> yeah, at one <laughs> point, <laughs> it was actually a good race as well. Actually, from uh, who won that one? I think it was Joshua Hamilton who, uh, who won that uh, race. Uh, mm, in ERC no, I'm pretty head. sure Sunshine caused a massive crash with Milan Rakovic. Oh. 
all coming down the bobsleigh. So. Yes, I remember well, that. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think it was the first corner actually, but but yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he won't thank me for reminding him of that. One. <laughs> but anyway, no, that's going, zero relevance to our listeners. So. No, uh, that's ERC by the way, um, which is kicking off their endurance season in the coming weeks. Okay, Adam, your thoughts then about Formula E as we go into Saudi Arabia? What are you expecting from the double India? I think we'll see. I think we'll see Jaguar continue their momentum after what we saw in Mexico City. Um, I think Andretti Global will rebound. And I think Pascal Verline has a target on his back going into this race, uh, this double hitter weekend, because everyone is going to be coming after him. So I expect to be two really good races in Saudi Arabia uh, and looking forward to it. January the 26th, that's a Friday, and Saturday the 27th of January. That is when the two races are on. It's a Friday race, remember, as well. It's going to be on the, uh, I think, the second race ends about 10 minutes before we start the 24 hours so it's going to be a very long day for me for, for Rolex as well I think I'm up for about 50 odd hours so uh, if you need that coffee Adam you might need to send it my way but I got you covered Josh and we are going to have some special guests joining us for the uh, race in Deary as well not the members of the usual team hopefully we'll have a special commentator in uh, to join us for that one Moving on then from Formula E and going to Formula One, McLaren uh, shocked everybody by being the first team to announce anything about its 2024 car. The McLaren MCL 38 livery was launched on the 16th of January after McLaren deleted all their Instagram posts and launched two trailers with the tagline of whatever it takes. And it was a compilation of uh, all of last year, the early doors saying, oh, McLaren, they've lost it. McLaren were the worst in Bahrain. They're not going to win anything. And then the sudden turnaround they had to where Oscar Piastri won a sprint race in Qatar as well. And it just screamed to me like they had something up their sleeve. It looks like McLaren might have found something. They posted pictures of their new wind tunnel with the 2023 model car in there with the 2024 livery. So to start with, um, I'd like to get your your two thoughts on that livery. Uh, to start with, Ed, what do you reckon of it as well? The orange and black, removing, of course, now the blue. Uh, <laughs> there's no notice I've still got orange yes. and blue. Uh, I'm sort of dressed <laughs> a bit like a really crap McLaren. Uh, <laughs> although... Uh, if we're just, uh, I know because it's a very, very similar livery they've got in Formula E. <laughs> Nemo McLaren Nemo. instead of Neil McLaren, of course. But, but yeah, uh, the livery, uh, it's it's probably not my favourite McLaren livery. I think um, I think there's a little over reliance on the black. It looks a little, uh, and I feel pretty similarly about their Formula E livery. Although I feel like it suits the Formula E car slightly better than, than the F1 car. But uh, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it keeps sponsors happy, I guess, and. Uh, as long as it's quick, I think it won't matter too much uh, how, what percentage of black to orange there is. I don't think people will be uh, too fussed about it. But 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 it is uh, it is interesting in terms of the campaign that uh, we've had two years in a row now, 2022 and 2023, when McLaren have had horrible starts to the season. And then 2022 to a little bit, but definitely to a bigger extent last year, where they... Uh, sort of got everything under control and are working much better pretty much from mid-season onwards. And it it feels a little bit like uh, <laughs> they are sort of... Pr- and it, it's very odd to me because they're sort of prepping people for, oh, even if we have a terrible first few races, we're, we're going to come back. And it's sort of like, uh, well, surely you'd be saying, well, that's not going to happen this time would be the message rather than, oh, don't underestimate us because we failed before and come back. It's like, well... <laughs> Yeah, your development's very, very impressive. But of course, uh, maybe if you didn't take so many huge risks in development at the start of every single season, uh, especially when we got a rule cycle, which is pretty much unchanged since the beginning of Grand Effect in this sort of 2022 on Madeira, uh, it, it sort of feels like McLaren are sort of, uh, we take big swings and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And it feels like that's not really a selling point for if you want to bridge ourselves on the you know, in that big three uh, that we have at the moment in Formula One of, you know, Mercedes, Red Bull and Ferrari. Well, mainly it's a big one, which is just Red Bull at the moment. But, but yeah, McLaren, uh, 
It's certainly a good team. I wouldn't rule them out, of course, because uh, they don't want me to, clearly. But, but uh, I, f- I feel like it's an odd campaign. Before, before we go on to Adam, I've just had a thought while you were saying that about McLaren with the power units. They're sponsored by the... Well, they've got the Mercedes power unit, haven't they? So I'm just thinking, is Mercedes the longest-running constructor in history to have a win in every single season? <laughs> I think that's the truth, isn't it? Because if you think about it, we had... They've won every year 14 to 21. 22 they won with George Russell. 23 they won the sprint race with Piastri. So they did win something. Going back there, they won in 13. They won in 12. They won in 11 and 10 with the McLarens. They won in the 9 with the Braun and the McLaren. 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. They won with the... McLarens, uh, I think every year since 97, there's been a Mercedes engine that's won. That's a very long time. That's been as long as Martin Brundle's been in the commentary box. So I think since 1997, every single year, there's been a Mercedes engine that's won a Grand Prix or a Spring Race. I think that's amazing. That's just something that's well, popped I, in my head. I... To be fair, in some of those years, the Mercedes-powered cars, like the 2004 McLaren was not yeah. a great car, but Kimi Räikkönen had an amazing drive at Spa that year, yeah. uh, and that yeah. win was sort of a fluke, <laughs> if we're being completely well, honest. Well, 2009 with the McLaren Reichen, as well. And to be fair, Räikkönen did something similar in 2009 where he won in the Ferrari F60, which was also not a great car. But uh, luckily, again, in 2009, speaking of McLaren, uh, getting their act together mid-season, 2009 is another classic example That's of that with Hamilton. True after a few wins with essentially a b-spec um mp4 24 i think it was yeah back then yeah i think the 23 was the 08 car that he won the championship at the last corner with so so yeah that is a big uh big but pretty much ever since mercedes joined mclaren isn't it uh in 96 or so 96 was sort of a a rebuilding year and then uh yeah like you say 97 all the way through to now they have one i think Oh, uh, Coulthard! Coulthard Ferrari won. had a few more fallow years recently, but they had a pretty similar record. I think stretching back further, though, from mm. like I would say n- they didn't win in 1980, but I think 81 through to uh, maybe 92, where they didn't win. I think they had it. They had a, Ferrari. They almost, yeah, almost. That's, that'd be about 10 or 11 years where they won a race at least mm. in one every season. Funny you should so say that. Might, because last year I did actually write something because I was bored one day, and I thought, how many years has it how, did Ferrari actually win? I've got it somewhere. Um, it's I can't I can't exactly see it now where exactly is twenty twenty two or something. But uh, I did actually work it out. Ferrari winless seasons, so they've competed in seventy four um, Formula One seasons. They have. Uh, been winless in 17 of those seasons. 1950, 57, 62, 65, 67, 69, 73, 80, 86, 91, 92, 93. And then they won. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> then they didn't win in 2014, 16, 20, 21, or, but they did win in 23. So we can take that out now because they were, because science won. So the longest run with wins was 94 to 2013. That is 19 years. And the longest gap without winning is uh, three years, 91 to 93. So that's quite impressive from Ferrari. I was bored one day. Yeah. The things you find yeah, out. I'll say this about, yeah. <laughs> and I'll say this uh, uh, about the delivery from McLaren, um, um, I like it. It's it's not my favorite scheme that I've seen so far, but Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri are very very talented. I think they will win this year. I don't know where, but they will win. We saw at the end of last year. I think if they can keep that momentum up as we hit in the beginning of of this year I think Red Bull's going to have a challenge on there back in the form of McLaren and I wouldn't count them out as could they be a spoiler in Red Bull's plans of Ooh. winning a winning the team's championship this year you know those two drivers it could very well happen I just ask Adam a question. Is there anybody you're not predicting to win in 2024? No, um, uh, no, it's called, like- no I think, you know, this is going to be, you know, um, 
Yeah, um, I think this year at Formula One, Red Bull's got a huge target on their back after what they did last year, and you know everyone's going to be coming after them. So I don't think Red Bull has has that domination this year. Um, I know, obviously, we all know how good Max Verstappen is, but you saw what other teams, you know, did for the end of last year with Oscar Piastri winning a sprint race. So I don't think we see a, another another dominant year from Red Bull. I think, you know, New Year, um, and a lot of teams are, are going to be coming after those Red Bulls. And hey, we don't know what, hey, anything can happen preseason testing and anything can happen during a race. So I think this year's F1 season is going to be one that that fans will enjoy. It's not going to be a runaway from Red Bull. I don't see it happening. Fantastic. Too much good. I love this. There's too much good talent on the F1 grid and and in Max Verstappen, he can be beaten. We saw it in Singapore, but hey, it can happen in any given track, no matter where across the world. So, Red, so Red Bull, you got challengers coming this year. I think I said I'm the I said. I said on Grid Network that Lewis Hamilton is going to win this year. I'm sticking to that prediction, and I think Oscar Piastri and Lando Norris get get a win this year as well. I sincerely hope you're right, Adam. Is all I can say. I think I, I, think you're I the am. Optimist I, I'm the realist. I think in this show. <laughs> I'm just not needed, am I? I'll just ask the, the <laughs> stupid questions at this point. Josh, you're needed. Okay, uh, McLaren launch on the 14th of February and we'll be showing all of the um, launches to the Formula 1 season like we did in 2023. And we'll also be filming some prep for the MotoGP uh, team launches as well. I think Grinesia is up on the 20th of January, so we'll film uh, something for that and get it out on the YouTube channel. Okay, moving on. Uh, sticking with Formula 1 for now because yesterday, accidentally, a bit early... AlphaTauri's social media, or the team formerly known as Prince, uh, they had changed their name on the socials to Visa Cash App RB. Now, everyone assumes the RB is the Racing Bulls, which was rumoured to be what the team would be renaming to ahead of the loss of the Red Bull-owned clothing brand AlphaTauri. Now, it looks to be, what we've just had before we started recording this podcast, that the team would not be called Racing Bulls directly. It would be called Visa Cash App RB, so Red Bull. So it looks like we've gone from Toro Rosso, Alfa Tauri, to Visa Cash App, which I think is not good. And it is also Visa returning to Formula One for the first time as a title sponsor since the failed... Uh, Visa MasterCard Lola entry back in 1997. And the main reason Lola failed in 1997 was because Visa pushed them to enter the sport a year early and their car was not ready. It was not even supposed to be designed for 1997. They had to add more weight to it because the 98 rules were the big changeover. So they wanted to launch in 98 when the new regulations came in. They had to drastically make up a 97 car. It was painfully slow. They did, I think, six laps in a practice session, and then that was it. They never did anything in qualifying. They failed to qualify, and that was it. By the time it got to Brazil, uh, they had folded. And it was all... Visa's fault, basically, with MasterCard. So they've returned, and with their latest gamble of uh, the Cash App, will be taking over the Avatari name. So my question to both of you, starting with Ed on this, then going to Adam, Formula One team names. There's a lot of prestige and heritage around them. Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes, Renault, now, now in the Alpine phase as well. We've had Minardi, Jordan, Stewart, Tyrrell. Names that you automatically say you know what they are in Formula One. AlphaTauri, Toro Rosso, and now Visa Cash App aren't the greatest names to bring into memory. And we've also got the Sauber team back, but it's not because it's the stake kick Sauber F1 team. So my question to both of you is, is F1 losing its heritage of recognisable names for teams? 
Well, I think it's a little bit, uh, it's a sign of the times, isn't it? As uh, one of my colleagues from Grid Network so aptly put it, uh, I think it was Matt, wasn't it? He was talking yeah. about Ava. He said it was a sign of the I think this is another sign of the times. Uh, <laughs> in terms of we have Sauber, which I think I, I essentially still think is just Sauber, even though they were Alfa Romeo. I think uh, that was always going to end at some point. And uh uh, because Alfa Romeo were going to get bored eventually, which is yeah. what car manufacturers tend to do, is what BMW did when, uh, well, actually there was a global financial crisis as well. But yeah, they they, they bought Sauber and it, it was one of the re- things that uh, people said, oh, William should have sold to, to BMW. And then they, they didn't end up buying Sauber instead and then they left and Sauber's only saved through basically a consortium of a you know, commercial investment and Peter Sauber, of course, uh, rebuying that team. Uh, so they're now, they've sold that to, well, I say sold out, but you know it's hard for Formula One team to sell out when they need sponsors to keep the the show on the road. They've become uh, they let uh, their title sponsor change the name of the team and stake. I believe is a gambling thing. Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah. I forget what Kick do, but Kick were already sponsoring like the team Twitch. last year. Yeah, there's somebody in uh, GPVWC uh, who actually works uh, the organ. One the organizer he works for. Uh, what is now stake F1 uh, kicks at Salba. Uh, so I think he must be confused because it must be difficult to remember which team you work for when they change their name seemingly uh, <laughs> every time a new sponsor comes on board. Audi uh, but, but yeah, so... But, but yeah, they will become Audi since so this is all just a placeholder until 2026 anyway in the in the case of, of, of the Hinvile, you know, Switzerland-based team. Uh, in terms of Visa Cash App uh, racing balls, so I think the commentators are probably just going to call racing balls with yeah, probably. stake at one. You can you can sort of get away. There's, there goes the stake, or maybe they'll just call it Sauber because that's technically part of the team name, I guess. Uh, uh, but uh, with the racing balls, it's sort of they've got a very similar name to the Red Bulls, of course. So I think uh, is is this an attempt to make Danny Ricardo feel like he's actually driving a Red Bull again? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but 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 yeah, it's. Um, it's a lot of uh, title sponsors uh, getting their name in. And we've seen it with teams over the years as well. Uh, I, I, and I'm trying to think of like, uh, I remember Force India had a load, a load of sponsors when it, uh, Racing Point as well, when it looked like they were going to mm. run out of money essentially before Aston Martin bought them. Uh, so Aston Martin at the moment, I believe, are technically Aramco Aston Martin yeah. Racing, which Aramco is, of course, the Saudi Arabian uh, state-funded uh, oil company, which is, of course, doing great things for the environment. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, I think famously was, uh, had a starring role in the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix one year where they, they got bombed by a Houthi missiles. Anyway, never never knew what happened to the Houthis. I hear everything's calmed down in the Middle East since. Uh, <laughs> I'm being, I'm being sadly sarcastic, of course. Uh, and yeah, I'm trying to think about very few teams that have had long-winded names. I know Grand Prix have certainly had long-winded sponsor Oof. names as well, which again sort of makes sense because there it's even more important just to keep the, the show on the road <laughs> because if you don't have a track, you can't have a race, essentially. We don't want uh, circuits dropping off the calendar, but Formula 1 has generally done a, a pretty good job of, uh, of avoiding, uh, you know, events with ridiculous uh, names that sort of defy being able to be pronounced because there's so many sponsors well, at play. It's usually just one title and maybe a, one other that's making the trophy or something like that. Do you remember when Emilia Romagna, I mean, Emilia Romagna had that really long one? What was it? The Formula One Grand Premio de Made in Italy, uh, Emilia Romagna Grand Prix sponsored by Heineken yep. and something like that. It was really long. This year, I'm delighted to say that it's going to be the Formula One MSC Cruises Grand Premier del Emilia Romagna. So that's incredibly more easy than the marathon one we had, I think, in 2021. Something like that. Because we didn't race. Oh, maybe 2020. Why, why can't they just stick with the San Marino Grand Prix like everyone used to from back in the day i mean technically no, not um, in san marino the media ran is in italy so they sort of it's sort of a yeah, second well, italian group i mean Lizana. yeah that's true but i mean you know i remember you know the san marino grand prix and it was you know yeah it's the race that you know i said in rolling rats and rolling rats and burger um in 94 and you know and but still, I guess the Amelia Romagna Grand MSC Cruises Amelia Romagna Grand Prix doesn't fall off the tongue, you know. But it's what F one wants, so we gotta roll with it. 
my favourite one is the Rolex British Grand Prix. I think there's nothing more British yes. than that. Yes. It's, it's so That's good. perfect. I, I think, yes. is it Lenovo now? I, th- I think it could be, although I can't. I've, it could be Heineken for all I know. Uh, Monaco is always I just... Can't wait for like, I feel like the most British thing would be for the British Grand Prix to be sponsored by a local pub or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the King's Head British Grand Prix or something like that. Okay. <laughs> That'd be quite fun. I, I think one year, um, uh, uh, wasn't Foster as a sponsor of the... Yes! British Grand Prix, That's yeah. And, uh, and, Foster's, and Foster's... Um, uh, I believe it is Australia? based in Australia. I think it's Australia. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. they sponsor the Australian Grand Prix. Yeah, so. and it's like, oh, I mean, wow. you had an Australian beer sponsor um British Grand Prix. I was like, okay. Uh, uh. I'll tell you what the stupidest one is. The Singapore Airlines Singapore Grand Prix. <laughs> I'm typing it twice. I think, am I making a... Am I making just a massive error here? And then we get like, what was it? The Singapore Airlines Qatar Grand Prix. But it was but yes. then it was the Qatar Airways. And that we get them like sponsoring different events. And it, it gets so confusing. I think um, we had a race a couple of years ago in MotoGP that was based in Aragon, but had uh, the Spanish Grand Prix title in it, as well as the Qatar it was sponsored by the Qatar Grand Prix, so it was a really confusing one. Uh, I am getting told though that we've only got four more minutes, so we're going to have to leave the discussion on the Alpha Tauri Racing Bull Saga. We'll My feeling is that very quickly, uh, sponsors should be seen and not heard. So yes. we see them everywhere, but the commentator should just ignore them. I think that would work perfectly and uh, it would avoid all this identity uh, crisis that we seem to have with these teams where they're so corporate, they've got to please all these partners, and we end up with just something that fans can't understand. Okay, what the hell is this team now? We're going to have to have a a guide as to what to call them in the comments box. Um, Right, moving on to the Rolex 24-hour to wrap up today as well. Saturday, uh, they're testing out there. They're not doing official practice, but they will be out uh, just learning the track and getting up to speed because on Sunday, the 21st of January, qualifying is at uh, 6.45 p.m. GMT, so check your local timings for that. Uh, It's live on the YouTube channel and on Twitch. Uh, we'll be covering the qualifying session for that now, 15, and then we'll be bringing up all the uh, date, all the dates as well for practice, giving you all that. And qualifying will be this Sunday, then it's practice, then it's the race the following week, all 24 hours live. And Adam, you're wearing your Rolex 24-hour shirt right now in the podcast. Uh, what are you uh, expecting coming into the raw before the 24 and the big qualifying sessions? Well, this is going to be incredible um some of the teams that you need to look out for obviously the porsche penskis they have a solid driver lineup wayne taylor racing with andretti that they have a, a two-car effort this year solid solid drivers in those two cars um and, and of course we can't forget about the iron the iron dames um in lamborghini and one of the drivers is going to be Dorian Penn, and she just recently signed with Mercedes to compete in F1 Academy this year. So, looking for, you know, the, the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona is a race that a lot of fans cross on their list at, to start their 2004, as they start their year in motorsports. You have, you have drivers competing from F1, IndyCar, NASCAR, and um, yeah, it, it's a race that has been very popular for a long, long time, and I'm looking forward to being a part of the broadcast here at JV Motorsports. One race I've always wanted to cover. I can cross that off my bucket list, and I cannot wait. I can't either. Very nervous, but I'm looking forward to it. Ed, are you going to be joining us for any of the couple of hours over that weekend? Because you know it's the same one as uh, Diria, but that means you don't have to do Diria. So, are you going to be joining us for a couple of hours? 
my undivided attention yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the first time in a while. Yeah, I've, I think uh, from what Adam said that I need to do a little bit of research because I know only a surface level a little bit about some of the prototype teams. And I've heard of the Iron Dames, of course, doing great stuff. They won Bahrain in a World Endurance Championship at the end of last year. I know what the Porsche 963 looks like because I've got a logo model of it. <laughs> yes, yeah. Definitely one of the yeah, uh, that's official right, yeah. models rather than one of my makeshift Heath Robinson ones, but uh, <laughs> I call them. But, but yeah, uh, I think... Um, uh, I, I think it's going to be very exciting because it's always the best drivers uh, and teams that sort of end up going to prove themselves at Daytona. It's got such a, a storied history in Florida dating back to the 60s. I think 65 was when it first became a 24-hour event, wasn't it? Or was it 66 when Ken Miles won? But anyway, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I think um, uh, I, I, that's <laughs> nowhere to end the sentence because I'm not <laughs> sure what I was going to say next. Uh, Perfect way to end the yeah, podcast. I'm, I'm, <laughs> oh, right, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's fizzle out. Well, that wraps it up then for the podcast here on episode three. My thanks to Adam Limbridge, my thanks to Ed Hunter as well. Uh, coverage details then for when this goes out. You can join us on Sunday, the 21st of January, qualifying for the Rolex 24 hours. And then on Friday, the 26th, you can join us for all of the coverage from the ABFA Formula E Championships first race in Deria. On Saturday, the 27th, you can join us for the second race in Deria and the beginning, Saturday, 27th, and Sunday, the 28th of January, the Rolex 24 hours at Daytona. Now, the Grid Network is the place to be for the pre-race show because we can't do one. So they're going to go on, I think, 90 minutes before the start. So that is where the link is already on the YouTube channel in the IMSA playlist so that's where you need to go the grid network on YouTube their old pre-show is going to be fantastic and then we'll be providing you all the watch long coverage throughout the 24 hours as well and we'll need a lot of coffee and a lot of information as well for the Rolex 24 first of two 24 hour races we're covering this year as well and then we kick off February with MotoGP testing and then we've got as well all the launches and F1 testing and then the first race of the F1 season is but about four days away. It's all going to be there. My thanks to Adam, my thanks to Ed, my thanks to all of you for tuning in and listening to us. Uh, this has been a JB Motorsports production for the JB Motorsports company as well and we'll thank you very much for listening in. We'll be back next time previewing all the stuff for Rolex 24 and looking back on qualifying. Take care. Good night to you all. <laughs>